And we are live. Welcome to another episode of the New York Information Security Meetup. And I have a great pleasure to introduce Steve Cobb, who is the Chief Information Security Officer for One Communication. Welcome to the show, Steve. How are you? I'm well. Hope you are, David. So uh, we started chatting briefly, um, and I mentioned we're going to be talking about um, interesting, but maybe some more complicated and kind of heavy topics. Um, but before we get started over there, you have a really interesting background. Um, you, before coming and becoming a chief executive uh, officer for like a chief information security officer, you were uh, working in the industry for a while. Uh, how did you start in uh, in IT security? I guess mm. that's the, when it's all started, IT. Typically, people start in IT yeah. and then they moved. So what was your journey like? like? Yeah, interesting journey. I um. I, a long time ago, many years ago, uh, entered college actually pre-med. I was going to be a, a physician and, and wanted to be an anesthesiologist, actually. But I had always dabbled in technology and played in technology. And a couple of opportunities opened themselves up to me um, to pursue a career in technology and IT. And I kind of jumped at it because I was really passionate about it, something I love to do. Uh, plus, I, I hated biology. So anyway, it was a good, <laughs> it was a good move for me. Um, so... I dropped out of, of college after yeah. my second year and started a business and out of my garage and started doing IT consulting work, a lot of warranty work. This is the days, you may not remember this, some of your viewers may, but uh, there was a, a brand of computer called Packard Bell, one of the first uh -huh. retail computers you could buy. And I just did a ton of warranty work for that across my state, across my area, actually across the region um, to for, for the most part. But anyway, that progressed into me growing a business and starting IT consultancy. And I moved into, from there, I sold that business and moved into some enterprise work for large enterprises like uh, our, our, uh, like PNC, um, Microsoft, Verizon Security. And along that journey, security was always a part of it, right? You, we, we started in IT, like you said, but security, when people start doing things like the old, I love you virus and all those sorts of things start popping up, you're forced into security pretty quickly. And I was passionate about security. So it, it kind of just led my journey uh, to that point. And Steve, how did you learn? So it's funny, people have it pretty easy today. If they don't understand something, <laughs> they, they load up... Yeah, Google or YouTube or whatever, and they look up yeah. uh, how-to videos. But back in the day, you know, especially when you're just starting out, uh, you know, this According wasn't available. How did, you, how, did, how did you get into that? Uh, well, I, you had a little bit of it back then, David. You may not have had um, uh, Google, for instance, but we did have uh, some Usenets and some forums, some web forums and things like that that you could go to. And so I utilized a lot of that to speak with, with, with folks that I knew uh, had some more information, maybe they touched some things I hadn't before to get me exposed to those and and help me get along that journey. But be, be quite honest with you, a lot of it is hands-on, right? So as you become an IT consultant and go into different environments and see uh, different applications, different infrastructure, uh, you're kind of thrown into the fire and you learn those things, you know, as best you can. A lot of on-the-job training, as they say, a lot of trial and error. Um, and you just get to a place where I, I think a lot of it has to do with good troubleshooting schools, being troubleshooting skills, I should say, I'm sorry, being a critical thinker, thinking about the problem and the solution and just trying to um, figure out what it is you can do to fix that problem. And so that's where a lot of that comes from. And I think you're right. Today's time, a lot, I won't say a lot of it, but I have seen quite a few of folks coming up in these environments today, IT and security that are, that are, have not been challenged that much um, for on their own to figure out and critically think about 
problems and how to come up with solutions. Yeah, it's uh, it's almost to have it too easy. You know, even if it, even going to Usenet and and so on, and it requires a, a you know a heavier lifting than just like doing a search on the search bar. Yeah, uh, um, agreed. It, it, yeah, even then, it, it required you to 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 want to find the solution, right? I, I think there may be a little bit different um, starting point back then or where it is now. You, you expect now, yeah, right? you expect now the problem, the solution just to fall into your lap, right? I mean, it's in the in the first three sort search results that come up when you when you go to Google or whatever. But back in the day, um, yeah, you had to go and troubleshoot and try different things. You you had to really try to find the solution. Yeah. It wasn't just going to present itself to yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. And in the operating system as well, we're we're much more, mm -hmm. I would say, uh, not as friendly as they are today. Correct. You know, yeah. you know command line and, mm -hmm. and glitchy. I remember like yep. the first Linux distributions were so glitchy. And same goes for like the uh, the Windows NT yeah, and so on. Yeah. Windows These NT and Windows 3.1 <laughs> and yeah, oh yeah, Windows Workgroups. Those are all those. Those are a lot of old memories that I don't necessarily want to bring back. Honestly. <laughs> so, do you remember like the first, the first time you encountered um, the kind of a malicious activity or something that you had to solve that was you know originated from a, from a, uh, a threat actor, somebody that you knew was was after the. Uh, whether it's a virus or whether it was a malware and so on. Do you remember what was, yeah. what was the first one? Yeah, I think the first one was the way back when it was a, a virus. It was a, a phishing attack even back in the day, back um, well, the I love you virus when we had some uh, customers that were infected there and started spreading that spam. And essentially in those days, it becomes a, a DDoS attack basically, right? Because it consumes your entire mail server. Remember, once again, this is back before the, Office 365 or G Suite days, your your mail server lived on premise, and you had your mail program on a server in your environment. Uh, and so the the first the, the one I remember was going into a, a a C Suite's office whose mailbox was completely overrun with with malware uh, because they had downloaded an attachment and, and executed it, and it eventually spread to the the mail server and started sending out and repeating that, and it was a huge mess. Yeah, it's really is amazing. But a lot, not a lot of change. Even though a lot of things have changed, but not a lot of things have changed. It seems like it's, uh, you know, the methods have changed, but it's yeah. the, you know, the the intentions are the same almost. Um, mm -hmm. So, what do you find are kind of the, uh, you know, the major issues right now that the customers are facing that you encounter, um, you know, from dealing with the customers on a day to day basis? What are kind uh, of the main concerns? I mean, ransomware is kind of the key key phrase out there right now we we are our uh, one source is an msp mssp and we do a lot of managed services for clients but we also do a lot of incident response so we're brought in when a breach is detected um, to help you know kick the attackers out flush out do the forensics and figure out what happened and then try to rebuild um, for the ground up hardening and posturing that sort of thing so ransomware is probably the key thing that we see a lot of today. It is the the attackers have taken advantage of a, of the industry being, um, uh, I'll, I'll use the term lazy here, but not disrespectfully, just we always look for convenience. And a lot of times we sacrifice security because we're going with convenience or communication uh, or connectivity. And so we see a lot of that in cases where companies are just trying to work. They're just trying to do their best and do their business. but. Um, they don't do it from a security focus, and so they leave a lot of gaping holes. So 
a lot of um, you know phishing attacks where credential harvester out there. The attackers have gotten really good. I'm sure you're aware, really good of mimicking an Office 365 login page or a, a UPS login page where they can harvest username and password. And so I think the challenge that we see most today is is still that same old, same old. As you mentioned, the more things uh, change, the more they stay the same. Um, identity, passwords, um, you know, credentials are all those are a huge weakness in the industry today. Um, and even though we have some tools like multi-factor and other things, people just don't have the time or the resources or the budget or whatever it might be to implement those. And eventually uh, it comes back to bite them. Yeah. And it's interesting because when you, I'm sure when you deal with customers today, it's, um, you know, even though we're, you know, 20, almost 2022, you know, there's still some basic stuff that customers are not doing, mm-hmm. uh, like encrypting their, their, you know, the drives, two-factor authentication, um, you know, uh, making sure the domain controls are, are secure and so on, basic stuff. And, and then they get hit with these ransomware attacks and then uh, you get the fronting call. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you think needs to be done for, for these uh, companies to be more proactive and make sure that they, you know, they potentially can prevent something like that. And if they do, uh, they have all the ducks in the road to be able to restore, um, you know, and then go back to business, you know, before things become, uh, you know, real bad. Um, because, you know, you've, there was a New York company here that got hit mm-hmm. with ransomware and within like nine months, they were at, went out of business. They yeah. couldn't conduct business, right? Yeah, the, the numbers from that, the results or consequences of, of from ransomware uh, on business, especially the small, medium-sized businesses, uh, is pretty um, Bleak. terrible. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. If you're hit by ransomware, I don't remember what the figure is, Dave, but it's it's greater than 60% chance that you're going to be out of business in eight months, I think is what it is. So it's pretty pretty staggering statistic. Um, and we've seen it firsthand because people think about when they they are ransomware we hear the stories from the media about ransomware we we focus on the ransom right we focus on how much it is and are they going to pay it and all those sort of jazz um and without the understanding the consequences of ransomware the effects that it has on the business the infrastructure the people uh you know we go into these places where you've got it staff that are spending the nights in their in their data centers because they're just trying to get things back up and that takes a huge toll on toll on the psyche and the um, the abilities of uh, infrastructure team, uh, security team or IT team within a business. We're seeing a lot of um, tribal knowledge that's lost because people get, they're, they're so exhausted and fed up, they quit and leave. Or they can't they can't handle the pressure of the chaos. And so there's a lot of extenuating circumstances that affect a business, whether they pay the ransom or not. And we always say, don't pay the ransom, but still all those things come play and, and come to bear at some point for business. And a lot of times it means they have to close their doors. But I think the underlying factor really is for us as security professionals, we have not take and we have not a good, done a good enough job or been convincing enough to share with customers, share with clients, share with businesses and organizations that there are risks out there um, that are scanning the internet and scanning opportunities to uh, exploit whatever they can find. And they at this point, ransomware gangs especially, but threat actors in general, but specifically ransomware gangs are just looking for a cash grab. So if you make it easy for them, they're going to make it really difficult for you. And I think the um, what we as security professionals need to do is be more convincing and and not do the FUD, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt the cut to, to potential customers or to organizations of businesses, but just convey to them that there are some easy 
free in a lot of cases um, and um, immediate steps they can take that tremendously reduce their risk to things like ransomware or other attacks. And we just got to be more involved and do a better job of communicating that, that I think. I, I think that's why for, for one source, for myself, our mission is to try to help protect and defend as much as we can in whatever way we can, because uh, we've seen good businesses. We've seen, you know, the, these are real people whose businesses are lost, family businesses, um, you know, mom and pops that go out of business because they, they, they can't sustain the business after a ransomware attack. David, I can't. I can't hear you. Yeah, sorry. The uh, you, oh, no, basically, like you mentioned, the ounce of prevention is worth a pound of pound of cure, For right? Sure. So, what can what kind of steps are are available right now? As you mentioned, you know, low cost or no cost, you know, for business. Yeah. What do you recommend? And I love I love the fact that you mentioned that we don't do uh, good enough communication. And I think those mom and pop shops and the, you know SMBs or medium sized businesses, I think they they're not really aware that they can be potentially be a target. Yeah, they're thinking like, uh, why me? Right. Correct. Well, and a lot of them been in business for 30 years um, and, you know, they think it's never happened before. Why would it happen now? And the attackers just have more tools and have more techniques, more resources to go and reach out in more places that they haven't reached before. And that's why it's uh, the potential risk for those small mom and pops or medium small enterprise businesses is even greater. Um, the other things, too, I think if you look in those industries where IT is more of a debt to the business, meaning they haven't supported IT, they haven't thought about security. In those places, the IT staff may be understaffed, the IT infrastructure may be old or aging, not properly maintained, and all those make the company a ripe target for an attack. And so, yeah, I think as, as we try to convey the risk to those to the businesses, and that's any businesses where they have one employee or a million employees, the risk is great out there right now. And we just have to make sure that they are conscious and aware. We always talk to customers that we support about it being a good thing for their employee and their staff to be suspicious. Let's be suspicious, right? And that means if something comes in that you think doesn't look right, raise an alarm. Let's use our people to help um, facilitate better security across the organizations. And that's the key. I think if we can change behavior and change culture too, honestly, the culture for us in the United States anyway, and I think worldwide is that we, we have, we are in a state where we're not suspicious enough and we're used to doing things on our phone or, or regular things that we do on our computer, uh, where the attackers just take advantage of that trust and they use it to exploit whatever they can. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, a culture of asking one more question, right? Yeah, it's like, right you know, figure it out. It's, uh, and then I think uh, the reason why it's, um, you know, we're so vulnerable as well is because, uh, you know, human nature, right. We, we want to help, yeah, yeah. you know, we are yeah, I, I, most, gullible. Most, no yeah. doubt. I think that definitely plays into it. I think it plays to the earlier conversation that we had, David, about the mindset of a lot of people now that are getting into business, business ha technology has become such an overlay on business where, you know, maybe 30, 35 years ago, CPAs were still doing business on pen and paper. I'm just using them for an example, attorneys, all those kind of things. And now they're dumped into an IT world, a technology world. They're not used to or savvy enough. Once again, we talked about those people doing troubleshooting and Googling things just fall in their laps. The same thing has taken uh, has taken effect in these businesses when they jump into the IT world. They just think that you plug a cable in, everything works and security's done. You don't have to worry about it. And it takes a deeper understanding and more critical thinking to realize the risks that you impose whenever you connect any device to the Internet. Yeah. And it's amazing, you know, coming back to your example, the CPAs, for example, what type of 
confidential information, you know, financials and, and mm-hmm. PII and like, you know, personal information, you name it, they got it all. And it is typically resides in their inbox. All right. That's or, right. you know, in the clear and, and, uh, you know, they probably have a sticky note. I always think of like, you know, they have a sticky note with a password on it. Yeah. Um, you know, you're laughing cause you know, it's true. Cause, uh, well, cause it's been around, it's a family office been around for, you know, for 30 years, you know, uh, yep. it runs in the family. Uh, and those are the most vulnerable for sure. Um, quick question. Why do you recommend not paying? I'm, I'm curious. Uh, let's dive into that for a little bit. Well, I think that's, we have, um, you know, anytime, so there's a traditional reasons, David, that people would say, if you pay the ransom, you're supporting the ransomware gang, the, the ransomware infrastructure, ecosystem, you're putting money back into it. And all it does is, is embolden them to do more and more ransom. Um, I, I think as well, the other idea is that you've um, kind of admitted that they've won to a degree. Um, and, and once again, paying the ransom by no means guarantees that you get everything back, right? I talked about this other extenuating circumstances to a ransomware event. So you have to think about not just paying the ransom, but all the other things that happen. We've been in ransomware cases before where the ransom's been paid. Um, maybe it's because, it's, you know, backups weren't there, whatever the case may be, but the decryptor didn't work. Right. Or either it worked so poorly that it was just better to rebuild the, the infrastructure. I, from the Steve, so, I heard that before. Yeah. yeah it's like so, the, the encryption is not seamless, you know, to get not, back. Yeah. And I yeah. think that that's the point, too, is that that we have some expectation or, or the culture that we have. You talked about that naive, naivete and a little bit of gullibility that we have. We're dealing with criminals and we think because we're going to pay this ransom that they're going to honor what they say they're going to do. Now, don't get me wrong. A lot of these ransomware groups now, and you, you've heard about it, are, are businesses. They're multi-million or billion-dollar businesses. We think about how much ransomware has been taken. They have their own help desk, their own HR teams. They have their own tech support, the development teams. They are a business operation um, and very professionalized in that manner. But why do you think that they would... Uh, honor a request to you to give a decryptor that's going to work. I mean, they've already broken into your environment and encrypted everything you had. So this idea that somehow we can hold them honor or there's honor among thieves, if you will, that 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 adage, it just doesn't play out all the time. So you paying the ransom does not guarantee the outcome that you that you think about. Now, there's a lot of negotiations that happen and we're involved with, with um, instance where other entities do ransom negotiations. We've done a little bit uh, ourselves, but really not our forte, but still, um, the, the better thought is the prevention idea that makes sure that we have the proper tools in place, the proper monitoring place that we can be proactive when we see an alert. But then we also have business continuity disaster recovery plans in place. So if something terrible does happen, we can recover on our own and we don't have to worry about the ransomware actor being our saver. And I think that's the key. Uh, for us as we go in and talk with clients. Now, once again, that's us coming in from the outside, David, saying don't pay the ransom. But there's a lot of things that a business, it's it's more of a business decision than me coming as a technical advisor decision, right? I mean, there's a lot of, could be data that's lost, data that you didn't back up. You can't remember. We, so many times we go into these environments where um, there's five servers that have been sitting in a closet. They're performing an essential business function that nobody remembered. We don't have backups for it. We don't have the developer here anymore. We got to have those back. And and so, you know, there's sometimes when I understand you have to pay the ransom. Uh, it's just the preference is that if you if you can't, I mean, if, if you can not pay the ransom, you should go that way and try to make sure your environment's hardened and you can recover from an incident versus having the ransomware actor recover for you. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree. And also, I think, uh, you know, potentially if you pay, um, even if you get your, your data back, uh, you're potentially now, uh, you know, bound to, to get attacked again because it's almost like they, okay, you know, they've, they've managed to extort you. Yep. Somebody would like, you know, spread the word. Oh, you know, these guys are paying. Most, um, yep, most definitely. We, we know that for a fact that yeah. in the in the dark web forums and those places that um, uh, companies and organizations who've been hit with ransomware are actively advertised as targets um, that can once again be exploited. I mean, those those things are being sold and discussed in um, dark web forums consistently. So, yeah, we see. We've been in cases, unfortunately, where customers, we came in and, and helped remediate, put remediations in place, put procedures and policies in place to fix things. And they went back to old ways and opened things up and 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 followed some bad practices again, and they were attacked again. So um, we, we've, come into, we've come into environments after the second hit. So a company got hit. They didn't tell anybody. They had an IT staff they thought was really good. They could do it themselves. We got backups, those sorts of things. But they didn't kick the attacker out from the for, at the onset. The attacker, while all this recovery was going and was still there dormant, and as soon as everything was stood up, they popped back up, executed ransomware again. The company had to uh, go through it all over again. So it, it is it's critical that you make sure that you follow specific steps when you go in these incidents and you know uh, or have an expert with you that can can help you understand these uh, techniques and tactics that an attacker would do. Yeah, absolutely, Stephen. I think we, what what I should do is should find a couple folks that were attacked and have them tell their story, and then we'll maybe we'll use that as you know as a source of uh, education for for folks to maybe if they see it um, and and get that sense of what it's like because it's yeah. it's a nightmare, right? As a yeah, CEO is. of a company, I mean they you get the phone call saying no one can access their systems. No one can do any work. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like the impact is tremendous, right? Yeah. And as I, we talked about before, changing culture a little bit, that is the culture I think that it really needs to uh, be, that needs to infiltrate the C-suite and leadership discussions across the country. Uh, when, when they're talking about their executive meetings, they have quarterly or they have monthly, you know, the, the IT staff or the security staff, the representative there needs to make sure the leadership's involved in these discussions early on so that they're aware of the risk and what can happen. I mean, we, we talk to, to CEOs all the time or companies that we're doing consulting for and ask that question, how long can you be down? Well, everybody says, I can't be down, right? I, I, I can't be down for an hour. I can't be down for a day. Where in reality for a ransomware event, you might be down two weeks. I mean, we've seen longer than that based on what your recovery has and those sorts of things. If you start making those leadership folks think about this as an impact to business and revenue, then we'll start turning and you can start getting a little bit of momentum to take a further discussion about the steps that you need to take and where you need to be at from a security maturity model uh, in order to make sure you prevent the ransomware at least and and other maybe uh, attacks that are prevalent out in the industry these days yeah and it's amazing when you think about it, like the 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 amount of risk to the business and the odds of getting hit are so high if you multiply that you know we didn't think that COVID is going to you know shut us down but people were back up in two weeks but the COVID was a was a black swan event you know mm -hmm. but these you know the odds of having something like that is very slim but uh, I don't know what the numbers are, but it's like from from ransomware perspective, there's probably a company get hit like every hour. Um, oh yeah, you know yeah, something we, like that, right? Yeah, we usually say that you for for every 
incident that you read about or you hear about in the media, newspapers, TV, there's probably uh, 2,500 that happen that are, are untold, right? That that no one hears about. And those are, and that doesn't even count, David, those uh, incidents that we know go unreported. You know, there's a stigma there that if you get hit, you don't want to tell anybody, you want to try to fix it yourself. And, and maybe you do and move on, or maybe you ultimately have to call somebody. But I would guarantee you there's a significant number of events and incidents that happen that no one ever knows about because a co company has tried to recover themselves and get out of that mess themselves. They paid the ransom and are trusting that the ransomware actor either won't infect them again and gives them a good decryptor. So the numbers are staggering. And I think that's the piece that, uh, once again, explaining that risk to leadership and them understanding the impact of that risk on the business, should it come to fruition, uh, is a key piece. They, they aren't thinking in those terms of, um, what happens when we get shut down for two days? Can we survive it? What is our revenue? What does it do to our revenue? What do we do for uh, trying to make sure we maintain a business here if we're in that state? So, Steve, what do you do when you get that call? Like that fronting call? Uh, what is, well, and I think it's different as well if it's your existing clients or somebody you've never dealt with before, but I always yeah. recommend. It's just like having, uh, you know, these uh, magnets on the fridge mm -hmm. where yep. a plumber, yep. uh, you know, a dentist, whatever. You should have one of you and one, yep. one, so basically just have Stuck that because you don't want to start yep. an engagement the first time around when you have like an issue. Right. So right. what yep. what do you do when, when you get that frantic call? What's kind of the first steps? How does that call kind of, uh, tr you know, just transpire? Yeah. And and preparation is a, is a great thing. Right. If we can be prepared um, uh, I'll at least done some preparation ahead of that. So let me talk about that real quick, Dave. When we talk to customers about incident response and having plans and readiness, part of the incident response template that we talk with people with customers about and, and existing or or new potential customers, getting an incident response plan is pivotal, is key. And as part of that plan, we always use um, a, a readiness uh, sheet, almost like, a, yeah, as you said, a Rolodex of all the numbers of folks that you need to call if you get into an incident there. You need to be thinking about who's my incident responder, you know, who's going to co come in technically and help me do forensics, kick them out, help do recovery. One source is a company that does that. There's many out there. Um, who's my insurance provider? I need to know what my cyber insurance policy looks like and who I call in case there's an incident. I need my attorney or counsel available and I need to be using and working with counsel who has experienced in a yes. cyber event. I mean, this is a, these are and, key things, right? If you, you can say I've got counsel who's represented me for 10 years in my business. If they've never been involved in a cyber incident, they oh, are totally. essentially worthless for you. I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but it's just a different type of environment and incident, right? Yes. And, um, and uh, you know, these cards, when you look at the insurance cards, typically now, at least, you know, like I've, you know, my insurance card has like this checklist, what mm -hmm. to do when, when you get into a, like, let's say a fender yeah. bender, right, right. like one, two, three, four, five, mm -hmm. and it shows you exactly. Yep. So uh, is there a checklist like that for, for yep. like, okay. Yep. The incident, the incident response plan should have that checklist in it. You know, what happens with the incident, what you do from a documentation standpoint, who you contact, which is this kind of quick contact reference kit that I, I spoke about. And then how you look at it from there, from there on, right? How the severity of the incident, do you stand up a war room and start going through those processes? And that can get detailed and complex, but it also can be, to your point, a summary sheet that's really high level checklist. Here's step one, two, three, four, five, six, and the things you need to think about. Um, and, and that helps facilitate 
you don't want to be trying to figure this out in the midst of the incident, right? That's the worst time that you can create your incident response plan is during an incident. Um, and, unfortunately, and Steve, it's the, it's, it sounds like you've... <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, You're about it's from the, experience. Yeah, unfortunately, it's the majority of the time. You know, when you when you go into it, somebody does give you that frantic call, and let's say it's a customer we've never been we've never been exposed to before, so we're not sure about what their data is, where it lives, what their infrastructure looks like, who the key contacts are, who the stakeholders are. You don't have any of that information to go on. You spend a lot of precious, valuable time just trying to understand what everything looks like and what's been affected. I mean, uh, we like to talk to, to potential clients about what, what are your crown jewels and where do they live, right? I mean, what is it that really matters to you data-wise and, and where would it live on your network or your infrastructure in the cloud so we can make sure uh, that we that we take account of that and, and put it in as part of the incident response plan. But when you're incident, in the incident response plan, uh, in the incident, and you've gotten a ransomware note that says, go pay Bitcoin and you're text messaging back and forth with a ransomware actor trying to negotiate a, a ransom, your business is still down, right? And even if you try to negotiate the ransom, get the decryptor, who's going to run the decryptor and where? I, I mean, let's, let's be honest. That's a pivotal question. Where do I start? Um, and so a lot of times we come in these incidents and there's, uh, there's analysis paralysis because um, leadership hasn't been exposed to what the risk is or what the consequences are. They think there's some type of a light switch on the wall that you can go and just turn back on and everything's back up and running and we're back up 100%. And it by no means is like that, right? So um, yeah, that the preparation and having your instant response plan worked out and thought through helps you in an incident tremendously. It, and it can be, even though there's not technology per se involved with it, it is more policy and procedure and can help uh, clear heads prevail during that incident. We have seen where an incident response policy can tremendously reduce the impact of an incident, even though a terrible incident happens, just because you're organized, you're being thoughtful, you're thinking through the right people and getting the right experts involved early on. Yeah. And even post, you know, post incident, there's a lot of work, right? So a you lot. have to notify yeah. customers depending on, you know, mm -hmm. what the extent. I mean, there's just so much of it. Uh, partners, you know, if you yep. have if you're a supply chain, I mean, there's just so much of it. It doesn't end there. Even if you manage to somehow restore it, um, there's just a lot so, of work that involved and you don't want to do it by yourself, right? That is exactly right. And, and and the other thing, too, is it's just like for, for me trying to fix my car, right? I, I like to tinker on a car. I like to go out and spend time and do things like change the oil and stuff. But it probably takes me, you know, two or three hours to change oil, where if I take it to an, an auto mechanic who does it every day, it takes them 10 minutes. This is the same kind of idea as someone who's been in the trenches, experienced an expert like one source or some other instant responder that can come in and has been through these. They can go through the, the tasks and make be more effective and faster at getting things done rather than somebody who's never seen it before. And this is their first time. Um, and, and time is critical during these ransomware events, right? It, it is critical. And many times we've gone into instances where the attacker still in the environment and we're battling hand to hand with them during the, the incident response, try to get them out of the environment in order to proceed. But even then, even if they're not in there, your business is down while all your servers are encrypted and you're trying to get things back up. You know, I just can't imagine, um, you know, you doing this uh, while there's, you know, there's an adversary inside your network. That's got to be, you know, yep. raise your blood pressure a little bit, you know? Um, it does. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it does. 
it's you're basically it's almost a hand to hand combat, mm-hmm. uh, but in a kind of a cyberspace, right? You're trying to get them out and uh, trying to figure things out. Are any tools in particular that you like to to that helps you with during the investigation? Are there any particular frameworks like security frameworks would you uh, you um, you know typically follow or recommend your customers to follow? Yeah, we typically for our clients, especially if they're managed security clients um, and and are open to going through the the NIST framework, we'll use our NIST framework overlay most of the time with our customers because I think mm-hmm. there's really good value there. There's good uh, uh, high security hygiene that can be exposed to your environment and overlaid on your environment. That once again, a lot of that is low hanging fruit and just reducing the risk tremendously to your environment. And you think about multi-factor on key applications and key areas, those sorts of things um, can tremendously, you know, when, when these ransomware actors run into a roadblock, typically what we've seen, and we've seen evidence of this, when they hit something like MFA or some other roadblock that really makes their job tougher, they typically will leave. They'll go on to another target because they're looking for the quick cash track grab and, and they want it to be simple as possible. This is a business for them, right? They're looking how how much revenue can I gain in the shortest amount of time? Yes, so unless, hit, Steve, unless they're after you specifically yeah, or there's some yeah. IP that you're, and I always tell the Correct. people that, you know, it's one thing to hear somebody like try your door in your house yep. and move on. And if you know they moved on, uh, it's fine. But if there's somebody who's doing that specifically because they're after something that it's in your house and it happens all the time with companies that have a, a certain IP, whatever, uh, especially yep, when nation does, yeah, and for sure and and you're right there um we typically don't see that with ransomware actors but at the same time what we have seen is nation states or apts sell access to ransomware actors after they've already finished their dirty work and stole exfiltrated uh, ip or whatever the case may be but you are right um the low-hanging fruit that that framework really starts preparing you and changes cultures in business so they can get the more advanced uh, tools and techniques and more advanced services in place such that they can be prepared when a targeted um, attack comes their way, if it does come their way. So yeah, I agree. The, the, the really low-hanging fruit stops the ransomware actors. They move on. The persistent nation states, APTs, they're going to keep on and come up with really creative and different ways they can infiltrate you and your organization. So more multi-layered security is really what we like to think about. If we think about you know, your endpoint and your network and your email, those things we we love to put in place to make sure we can have layered uh, approaches. There's no security tool that is a silver bullet, right? There, There is none. I, I, I'm just going to give you and clue you in on that. Uh, spoiler alert, there is no tool that you can put in that will 100% guarantee protect you, right? So well, you've got to have multiple tools. That's right. You have multiple tools in case one fails or one doesn't do what we expect it to do. Uh, and you, when you put those things in place, what you get is a, is kind of a um, triangulation of, of an issue that you can tell from these different tools that help a security analyst or a security team pinpoint what's going on and take proactive measures. The, the other thing, too, is there's a ton of good tools out there on the market. A lot of companies are putting great tools out on the market. Right now, what we see the challenge is who's watching the tools, right? And so if you're, you've got the great tools in your, in your environment um, and you leave at 5 p.m. on a Friday, somebody's clicked on a phishing link so there's an attacker in your environment and alerts go off who responds to them so you know if you if you can have that staff internally or partner with somebody like one source and mssp who provides 24 by 7 monitoring they can see those alerts and take action on them rather than saying ah it's an alert at 7 p.m i'll just take care of it monday guess what happens when you come in monday 
everything is ransomed, right? Because that's the attacker's time frame to start working is when we're off work or sleeping. That's their and, main business hours. And it's always on a Friday. It seems yeah, like it's always Friday. on a Friday, like especially yep. the long weekend or uh, holidays, a major holiday. Yep. All, you know, mm -hmm. there's always like that. Um, uh, you know, so I agree with the monitoring piece. And, and it's funny because the industry is, you know, touting uh, uh, AI and machine mm -hmm. learning and so on. But at the end of the day, there's still... You know, they, yeah, a very critical yeah. human element, somebody with the knowledge to, to understand and review and make sure that the, the alerts are, are valid and not just, right. you know, cry wolf type of thing. Right? Yep, exactly. And even with the new craze around um, user behavior and analytics and, and putting that with AI and machine learning and, and putting all that in security tools, that is great. But what I see that is just providing more context to an experienced security professional to make the right decision. Right. I don't want to trust a machine to make that decision for me, especially when we're at the point of everything so critical. I want someone who's experienced who can take the context of all that information and then make the decision appropriately. Now, I say that there are some red there are some, you know, critical alerts, critical things that happen there without a doubt. Let's stop it. Let's shut it down. Let's use some some, some uh, orchestration and automation. And we use that as well to shut some things down. But when, you know, when the rubber hits the road, it, we want an analyst that's looking at a live analyst, looking at alert and verifying this is malicious or, or it isn't a malicious. And what do we do next steps? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, MSSP or managed service providers, uh, that's specialized security is the fastest growing area, mm -hmm. um, you know, in market size from, from a, you know, from a market perspective. Um, why do you think that is, and and how would you recommend for a customer to, you know, you know, pick and choose wisely who they partner with? Well, I, I think the reason that it is that way is because, as I mentioned before, business IT has always been a debt. It's been something that they haven't seen as an asset to the business, and so if IT is already kind of the redheaded stepchild, security is going to follow suit on that as well. And so, security is something that is overlooked um, all all over the the business landscape everywhere uh, because people just don't understand the risk. They're not, they haven't heard the risk or they, or they think I'm okay, right? I'm too small or I'm too big. Uh, all those things could be uh, dooms nail uh, for you. Uh, for instance, if you haven't taken advantage of, of using a partner or using experts to come in and take an um, asset, uh, the, uh, an assessment, of your environment, see how it looks and how things stand. So I think the reason you see that growing is one, there's a shortage of expertise and knowledge out there. Um, where you have uh, a lot of organizations that are really working on just trying to keep their business running and, and putting expertise at the functions their business needs rather than an overlay of security um, because they may or may not see it as a risk. So there's a, there's a shortage of, of expertise and skill set out there. It, the market is tough right now. So if you're looking for a security expert, there's a lot of turnover, a lot of churn because opportunities are popping up everywhere. Great opportunities for companies, for, for uh, security experts all, all over. And so it's hard to keep and retain and train that that um, that knowledge, that skill set in a private business. So a lot of them partner with a company like OneSource that can provide an overlay there. We, we manage the, the security experts, we manage having them um, on staff and providing that 24 by seven coverage uh, so that a business doesn't have to worry about that aspect of it within the confines of their own business. Yeah, and it's uh, it's tough to do the 24 by seven. It's yeah. so costly if they wanted to do it on their own. It's just, uh, it makes it makes no sense. Um, right. You know, there's a lot of hours in a mm -hmm. week if, uh, you know, outside there, of the nine are. to five. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, when you try to start staffing that 24 by seven, you realize quickly. And then not even that, David, then you have to take into account that people want to take vacation every once in a while, right? Or maybe they get sick and what are you going to do for coverage there? So you've got to really think through that and make sure that it fits your business. And if it does fit your business, fantastic. Um, but you have to staff it accordingly and go in with eyes wide open, right? Know, know your tool sets you're putting in, knowing how you monitor them, who's looking at alerts, um, and really make sure you fine tune that within your organization. If you don't have the time, the resources, the skill set, the budget, then for to do it in-house, then potentially it's less expensive and maybe a better outcome, hopefully a better outcome when you work with an MSP. I think for MSPs, um, how you pick a good one is someone that really wants to talk to you about what your outcomes are, right? Wants to talk to you about what it is you're trying to achieve. I can come in and sell a business all kinds of tools, all kinds of stuff that they may or may not need. And that actually may or may not protect and defend them from a security threat. In fact, it may make them more susceptible to one potentially in how I may configure that and lay that out. So I, I would encourage people as they think about those partners in the security space, especially have a discussion with them and let them know what it is you're trying to achieve. And the answer can't be, I don't ever want to have a security breach, right? <laughs> That's if, if a customer or a potential customer tells me that, then I want to take it the next step and have the next discussion, or we're probably not the right partner for you because, you know, as I mentioned before, our goal is to, if there's an impact, to minimize it and to make sure it doesn't shut your business down. We react to it, we clean it up, and the impact is minimal. Your incident report is one page versus 100 pages, right? And that's the goal we're trying to get to as an MSSP. And so I would encourage people, if they're thinking about engaging with an MSSP, an MDR, any of those uh, uh, companies that may provide some type of managed security services, that they have an honest discussion with them, tell them their challenges, tell them their pitfalls and what they want their outcomes to be and make sure they line up with that with that provider. Yeah, and it's it's uh, you're right. There's unfortunately there's no silver bullet that you know you're bound to, you know, it's part of doing business. You're bound to, to mm -hmm. get hacked at some point and the impact is uh, what's gonna be the make or break for the business. You just you're just uh, bound to have something happen. Uh, yep. Steve, it's, it's been a real pleasure. What's the what's the best way for people to get hold of you if they want some, uh, you know, advice, uh, insight uh, for, you know, what you guys do as services and so on? Just uh, what's the easiest way? The, the easiest way is to go to our website. It's onesource.net or they can reach out to me. So as I mentioned before, I'm always open, available, willing to help. Our mission is kind of try to help protect and defend um, as much as we can. And obviously, yes, we want to make profit. We're we are a a private company, but at the same time, I would much rather forego that and try to give good advice and help somebody um, overcome challenges and protect them from a, an event potentially if possible. So my email address is scob, S-C-O-B-B at onesource.net, or they can go to the website onesource.net and reach out to us there. But we're welcome to have conversations with somebody, point them in the right way, point them in the right directions, be a, 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 a second uh, opinion if wanted to if they have some discussion they they need to have um, but we we'd love to engage and try to help uh, as many people as we can yeah and i highly recommend doing that before something happens you know have For that sure. magnet of one source on your fridge just in case um <laughs> exactly you know right <laughs> steve exactly thank you right. very very much for uh, joining it was amazing discussion around uh you know the the pitfalls of of ransomware and uh, where where a company should uh, what companies should do to protect themselves and uh, as we mentioned prevention is uh, uh, is yep. worth more than the cure yeah um, exactly right any day of the week so thanks all for joining and uh, hopefully I'll see you here next time and until then be safe all and take care thank, thank you, you. Thank, bye bye. Take care.